0: Well those Australian coaches are a bit like that, aren't they? The Michael Checker's feisty character, you know. He handles things a lot better when he wins than when he loses. As we all do.
1: <laughs> Hello again, you're very welcome back to the Clan Terrace View, a rugby-centric podcast brought to you from the West of Ireland. This is Philip Smith. This time it's all about the Dune Internationals. We're all very excited. It's hard to remain objective even though we try to on this podcast, we're going to take the Northern Hemisphere view of the games this past weekend and look forward to the ones this weekend. It's human nature. We try to not be one-eyed, but we'll, we'll we'll try our best. And as a counterbalance, we have the admittedly self-stated one-eyed view from Otago in New Zealand, where we get the view from down under on the same games. So putting them all together, we might get a more balanced view of the weekend's proceedings. As usual, we're joined by Mark Kennedy from Hawkeye Sidekick. Good morning, Mark.
2: Hey, Philip. Thanks.
1: Great a, a weekend, all about uh, the June internationals. Ireland heading to Melbourne, one nil down in the series after a disappointing loss in in Australia at the weekend. New Zealand steamrolling uh, France, and South Africa snatching a dramatic win in a in a very exciting match in Ellis Park, Johannesburg. A real exciting weekend of rugby disappointment on the Irish side. Mark uh, turnovers twenty-one to twelve. I think tells a lot that uh, one. Mister David Pocock has returned and don't kick the ball to Israel Falau. Some some disappointment, I think, uh, especially from where Ireland were at halftime in that game. But lots to build on for this weekend.
2: I think so, uh, Philip. I mean. Uh, there was a bit of doom and gloom there I thought an awful lot with the Irish media uh, post game but I think you know you have to take a few positives from the game uh, particularly the fringe players uh, that got significant game minutes. you know the likes of the Rob Herrings, the John Ryans, uh I thought really did well considering pressurised environment in Brisbane uh, I thought really did well uh, set piece I thought looked, uh, was pretty decent all throughout um, so I think the, the big kind of Talking point was probably the, the performance of David Pocock and also Hooper as well in that back row for Australia. I mean, they're world class operators in terms of the breakdown, and you know, they do sometimes make uh, back row units that they face look pretty ordinary. And at times, it did have that kind of sense about it. Like Pocock was absolutely unbelievable. I mean, so some of the breakdown work that he had was just world class and I mean if the officiating was a little bit more on point I think he would have had another two turnovers easy um, I think from an Aaron perspective you know first game of a, you know, of the tour as well um, uh, there was maybe a little bit of cohesion issues a little bit in terms of um, the back line particularly Carby um, I thought played solid um, you know uh, considering he's kind of first really proper international cap on the road thought he played pretty decent Uh, but again it was that kind of unleashing of 12 and 13 Um, we didn't see that too much in the game and you kind of hope this week now with Sexton's uh, um, selection uh, that'll probably kind of improve that area but uh, no I thought it was a very good test match uh, Philip to be honest I mean both teams went at it I mean I think the aerial battle was fascinating and I think Israel Folau has basically shown everyone from an Irish fan perspective his qualities. I mean, he was absolutely amazing at times there in terms of his early ability and his ability to come in the line. So, again, uh, blood and trust of a test match. Uh, I mean, the game was still in the melting pot up until maybe eight minutes from time. So, that's what you want in these kind of June international series matches. And I think it's delicately poised for this weekend.
1: Yeah, I think the Australians set out their stall uh, very early on with the physicality. There were a number of of all legal but fairly crunching tackles both on on, uh, Carberry and Conor Murray early on with the Australians kind of setting out their stall in terms of physically how they wanted to take Ireland on.
2: Oh, absolutely, Philip. Uh, I think uh, there was kind of uh, reams of World Cups gone by, particularly with <laughs> that scene of Stephen Ferris uh, picking up uh, Will Guinea, you know, providing that kind of physicality and Australia kind of did it in kind with us, particularly with our two halfbacks. Uh, I mean, Connor Murray and uh, had an early hit and then Joey Carby got crunched as well in that first quarter to welcome to international rugby from a starting 10 position I mean so I mean everything was kind of above board really in terms of the hits and stuff but really did kind of set the tone for Australia thereafter I thought they were very impressive particularly in their work rate and again you know some guys that we hadn't seen of particularly in the front five for Australia really did step up to the plate particularly the front row so um yeah again uh, I think Australia you know were very impressive on the day and so much so that Michael Cheka has decided not to kind of uh, alter things. You know, it's the same 23-man squad heading into this Melbourne test. So, uh, yeah, it kind of just a sign of how pleased the management were from an Australian perspective on the work rate, the breakdown. Also, the likes of Bernard Foley there as well. You know, he did grab a try and his game management at times was pretty pretty on point. So, um, you know, and also the likes of Kirtley Beal. Uh, I thought Curtly Beal had a very good game, particularly in the centre as well. You know he did create some lovely line breaks as well so again just put you know there's no question here in terms of australians their skill set uh, how they basically develop and create uh, create attacking opportunities you know it's the work great ethos and everything else and everything was on point last weekend so i mean ireland are wary now of this australian threat if they haven't been uh, going into last weekend
1: yeah I know we mentioned about David Pocock earlier but hard to believe that that man this was his first test match in 18 months it's it's absolutely phenomenal the way he just picked up where he left off uh, 18 months later unbelievable stuff
2: Yeah it's like he it's like he wasn't away to be honest I mean you know and I may, and I think the, the sabbatical from rugby really has helped him as well really recharge batteries probably he's reflected on the the game of rugby and you know really is embraced it even more coming back in I know we're reading some interviews there with Murray Kinsler there I mean I think he went back to his native homeland Zimbabwe for a little bit as well and you know it's just reinvigorated him and mean to work right and just to break down work you know he's just so difficult to get off the ball once once he's in position and it'll be very interesting to see from an Ireland perspective how they've Try to counteract that, uh, particularly for the second test match. But no, superb performance. I think you have to add Hooper into the mix here as well. Hooper really did complement Pocock superbly well as well, just in terms of defensive side of the ball, but also was kind of assisting Pocock there in the breakdown as well. They're two extremely world-class operators. And I think from a June test series perspective, this is a brilliant opportunity for the Ireland back row. Uh, to really test themselves against the best of the best, and the, the Australian duo here are really up there in that in that line of uh, facet of of play.
1: And of course, it could have been uh, the, the the gap could have been wider on 60 minutes with a with a what looked like a lovely worked try uh, disallowed from Israel Falau with um, with I think uh, the one of the locks on the Australian side was at Coleman taking out uh, James Ryan. In what seemed fairly an innocuous, um, you know, intervention, but obviously technically it was, he was taken out, but it didn't seem to appear, uh, interfere in any way with the, with the kind of uh, the try itself, but the referee brought it back much to the annoyance of the, of the home crowd.
2: Yeah, absolutely. No, that was a very well-worked move, you know, quick hands from uh, the back line as well. And I know it was that interference call there, you know, a few phases back. Uh, yeah. Again, you know, I suppose, the role of the TMO has been kind of maybe kind of alluded to and highlighted in recent days. and But I suppose in this, you know, the technicality, you know, as small as it might have looked, it was basically uh, obstruction anyway. And I mean, Ireland were pretty relieved on that particular point anyway, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, and of course, in the latter stages of the game, we had um, the normally unflappable Conor Murray getting uh, a bit heated with the referee in terms of... Uh, you know, asking how how long he was going to let them lie there before he before he called it, and obviously losing a few yards and and the penalty given against them as well. But it was just kind of a maybe more an indication of the frustration about the way the game had gone from you know where they were at half time. You know they were in a good position eight six down went nine eight ahead early in the second half, and I guess the Ireland team would have felt they could push on from there, but but it wasn't to be um uncharacteristic um defensively from from Robbie Henshaw when uh, for the for the Australian try with Michael Foley um or Michael Foley Bernard Foley scoring in the corner I know a few guys called Foley and I keep getting their names mixed up I used to go to school with a guy called Brendan (laughs) Bernard Foley and I keep getting their names mixed up um
2: right no worries
1: Hello to Bernard, by the way, if he's listening out there. I know he's a, he's a strong rugby man as well, uh, having played in the second row himself at six foot four. Uh, but Henshaw burst out of the line to try and make the rush tackle, but the ball got moved out quickly and uh, Foley went in in the corner. But un- unusual, you, you mentioned the co- cohesiveness earlier on. We're not used to seeing that type of um, uh, disjointed defence from, from this Ireland team.
2: Yeah, uh, I think maybe. You know there's been a few weeks of kind of inactivity as well and you no, know, Robbie has just been recovering back from another injury as well so that may have been kind of factors here as well you know if that kind of works coming off the line defensively it's such a morale boosting uh, you know ga- game incident really but you know you know just the Australians you know they do identify when uh, something like that does develop in an opposition perspective when they hit the line uh, a bit too early. They're very quick with ball in hand. And unfortunately for Robbie in this occasion, you know, Bernard Foley had identified the game uh, plan from Henshaw and it was a quick pass out anyway before Robbie could get there. And I suppose kind of even leading to that, Troy, there was also that aerial battle as well uh, with, Rob, with Rob Kearney as well, um, you know, which was kind of, there was, uh, you know, Kearney was unable to kind of um, feel the high ball as well. But yeah, I think with Henshaw he did improve as the game wore on, but I think it was, that may have been done more to his inactivity in recent weeks than anything else. So again, I would expect a little bit more of an improved defensive performance from Henshaw and also with Ringo's coming in at 13 as well. So um, again, you know, this is all part of the June international series, end of a long season as well. So uh, Ireland, you know, really do have to evaluate their kind of opportunities when to kind of push up on the defensive line because they've seen now firsthand Australia pretty devastating when they get time and space, you know, particularly yeah, in those really uh, backline channels coming
1: on at real pace from deep with the, um, you know, with the, the the pace at which the ball was moved across the pitch and the, the ground that was being made by the by the Australian backline, very impressive. Um, so. Th- the card has well been marked for for this weekend in the build-up to the game the, uh, the the formalities were somewhat unorthodox mark they uh you know in true australian fashion where they don't kind of stand on ceremony too much and they're not afraid to kind of put out their 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 views <laughs> and their um the kind of independent thought on things we had uh, the the chap in the stadium telling everyone to down their pint before uh, before he played the didgeridoo but um uh, not being disrespectful in any way, it was you know um, uh, a very appropriate thing to do from the from the, the 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 welcome that they did for the opposing team. But it tended, to, it did go on a very long time, much longer than normally would be the the, the regular pattern for a, for an international rugby match. Yeah, I think
2: it kind of there's underlying kind of issues here in terms of the Australian uh, rugby union game as a whole. I think, you know, this whole didgeridoo kind of, you know, (laughs) plenty of music, spontaneous music during the contest as well, really is trying to add some kind of uh, fan experience to these games because right now the Australian rugby union, it's really kind of struggling to kind of gain any sort of parity with sporting fans in Australia. You know, you have your cricket, you have the Aussie rules, which is kind of midway through their season. Also, Rugby League, which is absolutely religion, particularly in places like Brisbane. Um, So, again, Australian Rugby Union, I mean, some of the attendances to these kind of international games have waned in recent years, so I suppose it's just trying to kind of uh, get the fans back on side, really, uh, ahead of a World Cup. So, um, So, again, I think it's kind of alluding to some kind of potential issues here in terms of the market share that Rugby Union has in Australia. Um, so, yeah, uh, there, there's some kind of unusual kind of, uh, you know, antics there in terms of during the game. But, you know, I think whatever can work from an Australian Rugby Union perspective to get fans in sitting on seats watching these international matches is, uh, you Indeed. know, they'd have to be a So applauded looking for-
1: forward to the weekend, the, the teams are out. Australia unchanged, as you mentioned, the entire 23 unchanged. Uh, but Joe Schmidt ringing the changes with, with eight, uh, changes even within the starting 15 uh interesting to see obviously we expected some of the front row to come back in with with Tyburn, uh sorry with tyg furlong rather and of course with tyg burn on the bench but and sexton they would have been the obvious ones um but some interesting choices with scandal at at hooker
2: yeah i think that's probably the main kind of uh yeah, I think that's talking point, I think, from the team selection. I think an awful lot of people, and me included, and I'd say yourself, Philip, would have expected maybe Sean Cronin to get some game minutes here in this second test. I mean, the test series is really up for grabs this weekend. I mean, uh, another loss. Australia win the series. But, yeah, the fact that Sean Cronin didn't even make the 23-man squad really does raise kind of question marks in terms of maybe even Cronin's ambitions to get into a 2019 World Cup squad. I mean, I think this was the crunch kind of second test for people to put up their hand for selection and also to get game minutes. Um, no, Scalin gets his opportunity and I mean, he won't let the side down. I mean, he's had an kind of uh, inconsistent season more due to the injuries that he's picked up uh, this season. But again, uh, he's line-out throwing pretty much is on point. I mean, uh, I think like for like in terms of Rob Herring, in terms of you know performance levels. Again, you would have thought maybe kind of Cronin would have kind of come in there as well to get some significant game minutes, but I think the hooker position, I think we'll know a little bit more about our hooker depth chart after this test match. We'll have seen Scannell up close and personal. We'll have seen Rob Herring. I mean, Herring had a decent cameo. I mean, he had a few issues in terms of his ball carrying, you know, uh, in terms of his presentation of the ball uh, last weekend, but again, that all can be kind of rectified and fixed on a training paddock. Um, so... Yeah, it, it, uh, for Sean Cronin, I think it's a significant time here. I mean, it just I'd say there could probably be frank discussions with Joe Schmidt and management here in terms of what's his future uh, with this Ireland squad because I think uh, the third test, you'd hope that Ireland can win and this third test next like, following weekend will be, you know, it will have something on it. Uh, but again, the, the rumours coming out of the Ireland camp are, you know, uh, not great from a Sean Cronin perspective that, you know, some of the video analysis was kind of pointing to him which is unfortunate. I thought that was a bit harsh. But, you know, Sean Cronin as well was kind of out of this kind of uh, Ireland camp there in recent recent months as well. So he's kind of fought his way back in there again. So is there a kind of a personality clash here between Cronin and uh, Schmidt? You know, it's it, it really kind of is a significant point here in terms of this tour, that it looks as if, you know, if Cronin doesn't get significant game time here, that... Uh, we're kind of looking beyond Sean Cronin in the depth chair here for a hooker so yeah
1: because I, I um, you know the be, it's an interesting to the tour was that Cronin would likely be the starting hooker of the three that were brought so given his his form at Leinster so obviously uh, the dynamic of the training camp and and what's gone on on tour coming into into play there interesting we've no of course no uh no stockdale uh but we have Andrew Conway which maybe took another few few people by surprise and maybe if you look at it not in isolation just for that selection but you also look at the ring rose change in uh in the center with with uh, henshaw going to 12 and Aki uh, out of the match day 23 it maybe talks to a different uh, approach to the game this weekend
2: Uh, potentially, I think Bundy didn't train on Tuesday as well Did he is a, uh, a niggling injury there that hasn't kind of cleared up So I think, you know, Bundy I thought was pretty decent last weekend But yeah, the Andrew Conway one I think is a significant kind of um, Probably change in tack for Maryland You know, I didn't think Stock did a whole lot wrong last weekend But I think it's just Ireland management bringing something a little bit new to the table you know Conway is very strong under a high dropping ball as well, so I think they've identified the aerial battle here as being kind of a significant one to win uh, this weekend. And you know Conway does have the line breaking ability we've seen in full effect with Munster against Toulon in the European Cup there this season as well. But his ability to basically compete in the aerial exchanges as well, which hopefully should add a little bit more of an issue for Australia in that regard. So yeah, the ring rolls 13 as well probably was surprised that Ringrose didn't kind of get his game last weekend, but he's in now. And I mean, you would think with Henshaw and Ringrose, their understanding uh, from a 12-13 perspective, that should only help the Ireland cause as well from a defensive and attacking perspective. So, you know, there's been kind of predictable changes as well, likes of Sexton coming in for, for long, but yeah, I'll be very excited to see likes of Andrew Porter and also Tyburn as well coming in after 55, 60 minutes, you know, crashing ball, you know, he may be instructed as well to kinda of start carrying out the likes of the Hoopers, the Polcocks in the breakdown as well. So it'd be very interesting to see where um Ty Byrne plays as well, whether it's a second row or back row perspective. So again this is exciting Ireland um Ireland selection, but I think the the bench last week for me didn't it was flat. There was something very flat about the performance off the bench. So hopefully, you know, yeah, the course, come in uh, and impact you
1: know, for uh, obviously uh, this gonna come in as well to, to counter some of the back road threat from Australia. And John Cooney, I guess is the other change we haven't mentioned yet, um, being rewarded for his excellent format at Ulster this year, uh, with a he's gonna play a role coming off the bench, no doubt, at some stage during the game as well. Um uh, a nice recognition for Cooney as well to get to get his chance to impress
2: Yeah and let's let's hope that John Cooney gets some significant game minutes this weekend because I uh, alluded to on, on the blog there this week that really haven't got a real sense in terms of depth charting on the nine uh, jersey yet I mean Murray's played the majority of the first test, I think Marmion only got kind of paltry minutes really he's out of 23 man squad here for the second test if the result goes against Ireland I think it's an opportunity for Joe Schmidt then to basically evaluate his nine options with Marmion and Cooney you know kind of maybe fine for that starting jersey I think we know what Murray offers to the table so I would hope that there's game time significant game time for the likes of Cooney you know uh, maybe 20-25 minutes at least uh, in this uh, test match but you just don't know with the Ireland management what they're thinking in terms of the nine channel but hopefully we can see a bit of a charge chart forward to
1: the weekend and hopefully Ireland can move on to Sydney with the test series still alive uh, with a a win in Melbourne this weekend Mark can we talk about some of the other games last weekend Uh, we have uh, we had France early doors they were they were going well perhaps living on all black mistakes uh, in the first half um, but when the when the afterburners got put on from the All Blacks, um, particularly following the, the yellow card incidents, um, there was a real gulf in class between those two teams.
2: There was, but <coughs> you have to give all credit to France for the first 15 minutes of this game. They really came with a a game plan. You know, I thought to work it was very much on point. I know, granted, New Zealand had squandered one or two kind of try opportunities before half-time, but that yellow card for France was just... When you consider the whole scheme of the game, uh, that that that's a, an embarrassing yellow card issue after, you know, what you saw with the Grosso incident. I mean, that was... I don't care what anyone says, you know, we have another 20s World Cup going on at the moment, and the directive on tackling, you know, below, below you know, below chest-high and Again, that was a dangerous tackle. I don't really care, you know, in terms of you know the you know, mitigating circumstances. Someone there, from a New Zealand perspective, should have been hitting the sin bin at least, anyway. And the fact that there was no yellow card there—I mean, that was those were two significant key points in the game. I mean, even with the down to fourteen players, uh, France, you know, they were well and truly exposed by the explosive New Zealand kind of backline, um, you know. But again, it's uh, fine margins here from a France perspective. I, I think they'll they've kind of identified a few kind of flaws in terms of their video analysis I know they've dropped a few of their loose forwards in, in, in the second test and uh, not very happy in terms of their ability to basically uh, uh, defend those New Zealand line breaks so um, there has been changes wielded by uh, Brunel but again those two key incidents in that game last weekend uh, left a better taste in the mouth for anyone that watched that game so I mean I think the, the results to, to a certain extent flattered New Zealand um, you know in terms of their execution I thought they were a little bit ring rusty at times, particularly in that first half. But, uh, you know, once they got the time and space with the 14 players of France for that 10-minute period, and then I think the Grosso incident, I think, did impact a few French players on the pitch as well because the performance levels thereafter really did plummet. I mean, I'm looking at Medard's kind of uh, involvement in one of the tries. He was literally bounced off it. You know, there there was a feeble attempt to make a tackle five metres out. Uh, for one of the New Zealand tries, I mean, I think the mindset had gone from France at that stage. So I think France have renewed focus this weekend, considering what's happened last weekend uh, from Eden Park, and I'd hope that France yeah, does, can uh, kind of run New Zealand close yeah, this they, weekend.
1: They've got a lot of work to to do to to, to close that gap, especially with the um, the strength of the bench too coming on for for the All Blacks, there's there's a lot of household names coming off that bench as well to make an impact when when the legs are starting to go on the starting players and we're going to talk later in the podcast to um, to Mike Kerr down in N- New Zealand so interesting to get their view on perspective reading some of the New Zealand media I think across the board there was uh, recognition and acceptance that, that there should have been uh, cards involved for either Sam Kane or Uh, the other player involved who i'm not going to attempt to to pronounce his name but um either way it didn't happen despite having tmos and everything at our disposal so we're back to the kind of the consistency of application and it, it struck me that uh luke pierce in his in his first test at at this level first tier one test uh match being refereed by english referee luke pierce that maybe he wanted to kind of set down a marker that he was kind of the boss on the pitch and and maybe would have been better served by um you know taking a step back and and um taking the guidance from his tma tmo before kind of rushing to issue the card because it seemed to come out of his pocket very quickly
2: Uh, yeah, exactly. I think, you know, it was a baptism of fire for Luke Pearce, um, the English referee here. These New Zealand French games, particularly down in New Zealand, New Zealand, they have a life of their own, really, you know, considering the kind of the, the, the country, you know, rivalry between these two countries and it doesn't take much for things to flare up here in these test matches. And uh, But, you know, he was having a solid enough game up until that French yellow card and... It was just, you know, you know. I think it's just massive inexperience. I think from Luke Pearce, you know, I think he'll reflect on us as well from a video analysis perspective. You know, he'll be sat down by the referee assessors just to see how to improve things hopefully it's not the end of Luke Pierce from an international refereeing perspective, but uh, these calls here, you know, they're not the use of the TMO, particularly on the French yellow card, definitely, because yeah, I didn't think there was a whole pile in that, to be honest. But, you know, it, you, we need these new, young, up-and-coming referees to kind of improve, and hopefully Luke Pierce kind of bounces back from that as well, because I know he's got, gotten an awful lot of flack I suppose this podcast is probably my my comments there in the last few minutes has kind of uh, not been the best uh, for him but you know I think we need these new guys coming in like Nigel Owens are coming to the end of their illustrious refereeing careers we need kind of quality uh, officiators to kind of come in and kind of take over the mantle so Hopefully, yeah, we shouldn't comes forget back into outside uh, of the you know, high
1: profile incidents, so, but he did, you know, on, on the whole outside of those, he, he did have quite a good game. So we shouldn't lose sight of that. I uh, should also acknowledge we talked about the the three Bowden, or the, three Bowdens, the three Barrett brothers uh, starting uh, for New Zealand. Lovely to see them. Uh, the brothers combining in midfield before Bowden um, slid in for his lovely try in the corner.
2: Yeah, that looked like a back garden move, didn't it, really, uh, from the Barretts. Um, you now it was an incredible day for the family. Um, you know, they all played superbly well. That's how my clock had a really good, impressive game, particularly in that second half. I mean, his energy levels and just his work rate alone was just infectious. Um we know what Bowden Barrett brings to the table. His line breaks are just sensational. I mean, he identifies gaps so so easily. You know, he reads the game so well and then you have Geordie Barrett as well, who's just you know, he's just an absolute man machine coming in through uh through the line there from a fifteen channel. So you no, know, it was a great day. Great day for the Barrett's and I think the worrying thing here for France is that New Zealand have I think improved quite a bit from that first test match. Um the cohesion. I think for Steve Hansen's pre game comments, I think he's letting the, this 23 man squad again build up momentum and improve their performance levels. And again, you know, that mantra, I think, can only be a worry here for France, and as well as France, you know, have chopped and changed their team again so you just wonder here in terms of cohesion so again all to play for but I think New Zealand will look to really set down America this weekend given some of the controversy that happened last weekend to kind of nip yeah, that in to the bottom win this, this game very
1: comprehensive drama at Ellis Park as well with uh, South Africa ending England in a, in a cliffhanger 42-39 looks like uh, england having started really well seemed to maybe suffer from the altitude uh south africa coming late to to seal a, a riveting win
2: yeah it was a very strange test match i mean it was a great it was a great open cameo from england i mean they uh, the front five was on the front foot breakdown area they were in total control and the likes of um, their halfbacks were really kind of unleashing the likes of the Johnny Mays, guys like that at a regular interval. But I think that period just before half time really, I'd say the video analysis was probably a uh, cypher sore eyes from an England camp. The number of penalties they gave away again, Philip, I mean, it's this discipline problem from England. They're noted for it now. I mean, you know, every officiating crew that referees England now are really looking long and hard in terms of any indiscretions, particularly... In those kind of loose, kind of breakdown exchanges, and the likes of Itaji was kind of, you know, unfortunately for him, was being pinged for a few penalties. Uh, same with uh, the likes of Rob Shaw, guys like that, and gave the kind of platform to South Africa to express themselves. And, you know, I think you have to kind of give good uh, credit here for the likes of Koheci, Sef Trot, and Dwayne Vermeulen as well, a top breakdown which had struggled for South Africa, particularly in the first 25 minutes, really did stabilise. And maybe the altitude did have a factor here, uh, Philip, as well. But again, it was a sensational comeback from uh, the spring box and really invigorated the crowd on Razi Erasmus' first significant game as kind of South African head coach. And uh, I think you have to give kind of good credit as well to Flaft to Kirk as well. Sale Sharks scrum half, I thought he was incredible during the game, really did lead by example. And, you know, you know I think he had a try as well and, you know, literally I think from South Africa perspective the just the, the manner of the performance that there are things to tidy up on surely, but just the attacking Brandon Rugby to come back into that contest can only be great news for Razi Erasmus, you know, the likes of Aled Williams, guys like that, you know, that they're kinda of have their foot in the door now and, you know, I think the media kind of uh, Feedback from that performance was pretty pretty yeah, good. So uh, yeah, the, play for you know,
1: the, the test. out of South Africa and a lot of players come to play in Europe specifically. But in a in a roundabout kind of way, it was nearly an advantage that th- there was a number of England-based uh, Springboks who performed very well. You mentioned Fafta Klerk at Scrum Half at Sale, Willie Larue obviously the from fullback at Wasps. And bringing um, uh, what, what was it uh, Brits back into the wider squad from retirement f- for his knowledge of the English game um, in a in a reverse kind of a way probably an, a, a help to to South Africa with their kind of in depth knowledge of of some of the England players.
2: Absolutely, I think you know. I think Erasmus' is kind of short tenure in Munster as well kind of did open his eyes very much in terms of the South African options that are here particularly applying their trade in Northern Hemisphere rugby particularly in the likes of the Irish the Scottish uh, Welsh English leagues as well so yeah, the Brits story was quite um, <laughs> quite good in terms of I think he was sipping a tequila in Ibiza when uh, I think he was on holiday when he got the phone call from Erasmus. So uh, that's one to tell the kids anyway from an international recall perspective. So, yeah, I mean, I think uh, from Erasmus' perspective, he's really alluded to the Northern Hemisphere uh, rugby here uh, and the experiences that, you know, South African players that want to get into that international rugby mode need to kind of experience kind of playing in the northern hemisphere in terms of the tactical game now that is required so and you know the players that he's kind of brought in like the likes of after kirk once upon a time may not have been included in this matchday squad they've had first hand experience in terms of the tactical game management you know requirements uh, to kind of uh, from a Northern Hemisphere perspective, so yeah, you have to applaud management for that. They're extending their options, and I think the performance of particularly Willie Larue as well at 15 and that comeback was yeah, sensational as well. your
1: point of uh, view, uh, Razzy Erasmus very much uh, uh, yeah, clued in and on on top of his kind of relationship with the media. The same, of course, can't be said for Eddie Jones. Another uh, interaction with some Springboks fans on, on the way off the pitch down the tunnel the last day. Um, stuff that he could best do without, I guess, as they look forward to uh, uh, trying to recover from going 1-0 down on the Test Series with, a, with another game this weekend versus South Africa. Uh, some other interesting results at the weekend. We have to uh, give some kudos to the United States, 62-13 over Russia. Scotland, of course, had a good win over, over Canada, 48-10. And Japan, a uh, good win over Italy, 34-17. Um, Japan, obviously, trying to raise the bar for their uh, home hosting of the World Cup next year. But that that sounds like a, a real entertaining game in, in Japan at the weekend. Yeah, I think...
2: Ireland, Scotland, they have to be quite wary of this Japanese challenge as well next year. Um, you know, the Sunwolves as well and Super Rugby, they're, they're taking a few scalps this season. They seem to be developing all the time here in Japan and I think one or two more kind of um, Kiwi born players may get nationalised before the, the start of that World Cup next year. So um, again that was a superb performance of Japan particularly because uh, I think Italy had controlled things by and large in the opening period but there was a total transformation in that uh, second half um, Jap- Japan's work rate kind of refused to kind of slow down at all in that second
1: half of course, and, uh, a came out with a, a very impressive well, win. A good win 23-10 away in Argentina which is, is no mean feat as we know here in, in Ireland only too well so all these all the teams involved again this weekend the the test series continue uh so we have uh, obviously the games that we've just talked about or uh, you know there's a, a rematch of those but we also have um tonga romania fiji georgia namibia playing uganda in the african championships zimbabwe versus morocco lots of lots of rugby going on all over the planet this time of year even if the domestic season here in ireland is uh is at a break how do you think uh, ireland are going to go in the second test mark
2: it's a difficult call um i i'm hoping to have missed a trick in terms of that opening test match i thought if we were going to win a test match in the series i thought last weekend was probably it just due to the lack of time that maybe australia would have had with their players Um, Again, the reinforcements have come in, um, but I think Australia another week, you know, in camp, uh, they can only improve. Um, I think it's going to be a difficult ask here for Ireland. It'd just be fascinating to see. I think the breakdown battle is going to be the key point here. And the likes of James Rhines, the Devon Toners, you know, guys like that, even Robbie Henshaws kind of really do assist the back row here to maybe set up a platform here to allow Murray crick work ball for the likes of Sexton I think Sexton's inclusion is pretty uh, pretty significant here as well um, I suppose heart and head time here I suppose hearts hoping that Ireland you know Melbourne buoyed by a strong Irish crowd and the stadium can maybe kind of turn over Australia because I know in Brisbane Australia have had a superb record there in that Suncora Stadium um, again it would be nice for this Test match series if it could go down to the third game but I think my head's kind of leaning towards Australia I think uh, I am surprised with the Australian performance last weekend I thought it wouldn't be as good as it was and um, I think Australia may just nick this um, I'm just thinking the likes of the Flows the Kirtley Beals guys like that may get their opportunity to impress particularly in the last quarter and I think it might be a sign of a long season here for Ireland that maybe some performances fall a little bit flat um, fatigue may be a factor here as well so I'm going to lean to an Australia win here uh, I, th- I thought in this Test match series, that Australia would definitely nick the second Test, and I'm still kind of uh, keeping with that. I think Australia, I think by Which
1: obviously maybe would make five Sydney points, a, I think. a dead rubber from a Test series point of view, but would open up the the opportunities for Joe Schmidt to, to try some of the other squad players on the tour. Um, I guess I'm maybe more leaning on the glass half full side of things, but I I, I just felt Ireland, you know, physically, and and I I thought they were um a bit on the back foot last week um i'm and i'm hoping they can they can up the up the game in terms of the just just taking on the australians a bit more logic might imply australia but uh hopefully we can pull one over on them in melbourne on on this coming saturday obviously bookended by the new zealand france game first off and england south africa later in the day mark thanks very much for joining us on the clan terrace view hope to discuss the uh the details of the second week yeah, I of you for, the um, summer have a good series with you next week. Have a good weekend.
0: Well, those Australian coaches are a bit like that, aren't they? Michael Checker's feisty character. You know, he handles things a lot better when he wins than when he loses, as we all do. <laughs>
1: Hello again. You're very welcome back to the Clan Terrace View, a rugby-centric podcast brought to you from the west of Ireland. This is Philip Smith and delighted, as usual, to be joined from New Zealand, Queenstown. Welcome, Mike Kerr, to the Clan Terrace View. Yeah, hi, Philip. How are you? Great, thanks. Exciting weekend just gone and another exciting one coming up as we we work our way through the, the summer series. Difference in class in Auckland on Saturday. Early doors, France were... France were ahead, but New Zealand put on the afterburners, especially with that yellow card incident, and they they ran out very spectacular winners in the end.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. Quite a quite an entertaining game in, in some regards. I so just, uh, uh, just 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 uh, just thought I'd give you a bit of history to the listeners on myself. Um, I've been an All Blacks fan since 1970. Um, first. First, uh, listened to the All Blacks on the radio in the middle of the night with my father in 1970 when they toured South Africa. Um, rugby wasn't on television then, so um, I've been a fan ever since then. Um, and so, possibly a little one-eyed. So, so please excuse me if I uh, if, if I say the All Blacks are better than they are. Um, I apologise for myself now. Yeah. So um, the, the big talking point down here was the, obviously the hit on the on Remy Grosso. That was. Um, no one down here was very happy with that. Uh, Justin Marshall, the Sky Sports commentator, immediately said that both players should be in the bin for that, um, um, and, and, and most of us down here in New Zealand were agreeing with that. Um, that yeah, that wasn't it wasn't good, and, and the referee got that quite wrong. We felt. Um, also, the other situation with the, the high tackle on uh, Ryan Crotty from the second rower. Um, my first thoughts were that's a yellow card uh, at full speed when you first saw it, but then. And that's why the referee did it. But, but obviously, uh, when we saw the replay, <laughs> not to be. So things, things could have been a little different. But um, realistically, you know, the, the All Blacks were, were rusty. I've, I've got a friend who, who we, we've watched a lot of rugby together over the years. And at halftime, he always sends me a text. And his text said this week, the rust is falling off the French Bull tyre. Um, straight after the match, the text came through as predicted. Um, So so the All Blacks were very rusty in the first 20 minutes, uh, dropped a lot of passes, um, didn't hold the ball well and and, and combinations weren't quite happening, which is quite usual for them um, for the first match. But but realistically, the writing was on the wall a wee bit. On, On a couple of occasions, the All Blacks were able to cut through quite easily but didn't hold on to the ball for me when i when i saw that the team lists and i saw that matthew Bestaro was uh 125 kilograms i nearly fell off my chair i didn't realize he was that big and i i said to to my wife i said oh he, he he could be found out here at, at that size because he's just no one can be 125 kilos and, and have enough pace to play international center and and i think the all blacks were we're, we're pretty quick to, um, to to play on that because the, the, the French midfield um, had some had some pretty big holes when you've got guys who can step and, and, and pass and I've got some pace like crotty and Leonard brown and you've got a couple of Barrett's running around as well you need to have some pace and organization and defense so so the French were although they played well in that first half they, they were pretty lucky to be a lead 118. Yeah, and then, then with what happened in the second half with the, with the yellow card and then the non-yellow cards, and then the, the All Blacks with that high-impact bench. Obviously, Damien McKenzie was sensational. Um, he's very quick. He's got a great step. Um, he's been doing it for five years or so now for the Chiefs, and he's still only about 23 years old. So he, he's a danger man, and I think the All Blacks have a real weapon there to be able to bring him off the bench when, when the other teams are tiring and he's got fresh legs. A real little danger man.
1: I thought the the hooker was very mobile as well. He seemed to be involved in a lot of the a lot of the interplay in midfield. Uh, his name escapes me now. Number two, Cody uh, Taylor. He scored a try as well. Yeah. Yeah. He seemed to have a, a, a prominent game as well. He he
0: since Stone Coles has been injured um, last year and this year he's been growing. Um, another one another one of those uh, bloomin' Cantabrians you know out of out of, out of the Crusaders. A machine that just keeps you producing these good players, but he he had a good series against the Lions last year. I think he scored a try against the Lions and stood out well there. Um, yeah, he, he he is quite mobile and quite fast and, and has some good skills. So we're quite lucky to have him as a backup to Dane Cole's. Yeah, so yeah, he, he had a good match also. So so a lot of problems there for the French really, and the All Blacks have also on the bench. You know they bring TJ Peronara, Adi Savia. And Nani Lamapi, it's quite a strong bench to be bringing on with 20 minutes to go. Some strong guys that love to run hard with the ball.
1: One thing that we, we touched on briefly um, when the French team was announced was their winger, Teddy Thomas, who's been good going forward here in Europe this year. I think he was found out a few times out on the wing, a number of the tries, but he was just nowhere to be seen defensively on the wing. There
0: was the one that Akira Yuani scored. Um, so... At the time, Akira Ioani drifted into midfield and then came back to his wing very quickly. And Teddy Thomas wasn't aware enough defensively to be there. And actually, my wife said to me, She said, Who made that call? Do you think it was Justin Marshall or Akira or Ioani? And I, I wasn't sure. I said, I don't know. And then I thought about it. And, and my thoughts were that that would have been an all black plan, plan from a long time ago. That they would have seen a weakness there and that was just a, a planned move I believe
1: yeah he's he's he's, uh, he's been known to be um, a bit AWOL sometimes defensively so I wonder is that something they're going to try and tighten up for um, hard to fix that stuff in a week yes, though um, the, the other talking point up here on the game obviously there was the you know the the cards that were and weren't, and so on. But it was also the kind of the performance of the referee in that context. If you if you compare it to some of the other matches, um, in terms of that went on last weekend, in terms of the um, you know the teamwork of the match officials. So you know there's a TMO there as well for a reason. Um, Luke Pierce, <clears throat> the English referee refereeing his first kind of test match at this level. He seemed to want to maybe. Stamp his authority on things and and be decisive rather than maybe, in hindsight, a more experienced referee would often take a take a step back and consult with their TMO before rushing to the decision. He nearly had the card out for that high tackle based on the the real-time view of it that did look bad but then obviously the replay indicated that it was nowhere near as high as it looked so maybe a bit of refereeing inexperience at that level as well or is, or is that a bit harsh do you think
0: um no no i think you're probably quite spot on there um um with that there, Phil yeah definitely he, he he should have gone upstairs for for, for that one um, and, and I think you're right now in mentioning that he just probably wanted to be in charge himself being his first tier one test match um, so you know uh, we all make mistakes and hopefully he'll learn from that and uh, he, like, like a player he's got to learn and, and get better.
1: It doesn't explain 44 uh, nil in the second half though you know, so no, I can't no. argue with that if it was closer no. maybe from a a result point of view there might be more focus on the refereeing but there was such a gulf between the teams that i don't think it's maybe getting the the same airtime as it might otherwise
0: yeah i felt actually apart from those few um clearing errors he actually didn't have too bad a game um apart from that i thought i thought he did quite well yeah i guess that pretty much wraps up that match now the the, the uh I went down to the local pub uh, with my wife and, and had a um, had a few beers, had a burger, watched the game. We'd, we'd been up. Uh, I've been snowboarding all day as well. I got up early. This are all my excuses, um, and, and I'm not getting any younger. So I, was, I came home and I was really enjoying the the Ireland Australia game. I thought that in the first 20 minutes that the pace of that game was higher than the All Blacks All Blacks for French game, and I and I think it was even more accurate as well. That Australian side. When they've got all their good players on the field and they're in form like they are, they are a very good team. Um, you know they've got some very classy players. Here. I hear Curtly Bill had a had a blinder. Um, he yeah, he he's been a good player for a long, long time now. When he's fit and he's got his mind right on the game. So the the problem for the Australians is with consistency. Is if they lose two or three of those class players, they they are in trouble because they haven't got the backup, which is. Which is mirrored in the Super Rugby, where they they haven't really got any really good sides because they just haven't got the numbers of class players. But there's a few goodies there. Interesting to see David Pocock back, having another great game. Yeah, he's um I watched him at a couple of the breakdowns and and man, he just he 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 doesn't have to be the first one there, but he certainly ends up with his arms around the ball.
1: Yeah, hard hard to believe it's his first Test match in eighteen months. He just kind of. Got back in the saddle, and the one statistic that jumped out at me um, from the game was the turnovers. They were very evenly matched. I think Ireland nearly edged it on a lot of the stats in the game, but the turnovers were twenty-one to twelve in favor of the Australians. And if you want to know where the game was won, I think that's that's where we have to be looking with the, with the back row of Pocock. And I think Falau in the air was very impressive as well. You know, with the Ireland and Australia did as much kicking as each other. I think they kicked an equal amount of ball away, but um, Falau was was winning everything that, that he, he went up high for in the air, so he was kind of imperious in the under the high ball.
0: Yeah, well, the, the All Blacks play Australia three times every year and, and we know them quite well. And um, it still bemuses me why we kept the ball high to Falau because I think... Uh, I'm struggling to to remember him missing one in about five in about fifteen matches or so. He is he is so good under the high ball, um, that guy. Um, that, that's you know he's got an Australian rules background as well. Um, so the Australians are usually very good under the high ball, and it, and it beats me why teams kick the ball to him. Um, yeah, if I was a coach, I'd be saying do not kick the ball to Israel Folau. Yeah,
1: there was yeah there was a lot of. Um uh, frustration here or i guess disappointment because you know they were in a good place at half time they were just eight six behind went nine eight ahead and the feeling was that ireland were going to push on from there but um and, and i think the, the precision may have dropped off the physicality of the australians was huge as well from early on they were they weren't messing about they were getting all, all legal stuff but they were getting right stuck in you know, down the down the throat of Conor Murray and 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 the new out half Joey Carbery, um, and I think the um, you know the the key turning points in the game were you know obviously the tries, but there was an incident where you know Robbie Henshaw in the centre very uncharacteristically shot up right out of the line. Normally they've they've prided themselves on very tight defence. Um, but for some reason he shot right up at the line and that ultimately resulted in in foley going in in the corner um so it was it was very uncharacteristic so lots of changes coming this weekend i just heard this morning that um there's eight changes out of the starting 15. um so the entire new front row gone in uh including two british and irish lions johnny sexton in at out half um bringing gary Ringrose in for a bit of um uh silken skills in the center um to to um to make things interesting there devon toner in the second row and some of the one of the surprises maybe the inclusion of andrew conway on the wing with keith Earls on the other wing um tyg burn is a new name that you may or may not have heard of um down um down there but he is an um an Irish player who had been playing in Wales for the Clenetley Scarlets had, had a very successful year last year um, but he has he's decided to, to move back to Ireland and is going to play his games with Munster next year but as in New Zealand there's the policy of picking players that play at home uh, so you know, unless you're playing in you know one of the four provincial teams here you're not going to get picked for Ireland um, so He's now back in the fold, and he's on the bench for this weekend. So he's he's going to be a big addition to that team as well. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes when he when he comes on as a as a finisher late in the game. Um, so I think there's. Uh there's a lot of focus from this Irish team this week and I think there's going to be a, a reaction at the weekend. Australia don't seem to have made any changes. I think they're going with the same 23.
0: Yeah, Australia have picked the same 23. That's the first time um, Michael Cheek has done that in his, his time as coach of Australia. Um, did you think the Irish side is a stronger side this week than last week with the changes?
1: A number of the, the people that you would have expected to start last week, um, Tighe Furlong, Johnny Sexton, they're all back in. Um the one, I mentioned one surprise in the backs, Conway coming in. In, in, in number two, the hooker uh, is a chap called Niall Scannell, who is uh, he's actually second choice at Munster. Um, and there's a guy uh, not even making the bench tomorrow called Sean Cronin, who is a Leinster hooker, who would have gone into the tour expecting to start the tests so there's I, obviously been something in the dynamic of the of the training ground where where Joe Schmidt has seen something that he wants to and and maybe he's he's about you know assessing his options um at, at that position as well because obviously Rory Best is the, the the incumbent there and but he's he's injured on this tour so um and Rory is not getting any younger either so he's obviously having a look at the the, the strength and depth there
0: so um, uh, the the All Blacks have named an unchanged side as well. Um, that's the first time they've done that since the 2015 World Cup. So uh, Steve Hansen just wants some continuity. Um, keep working on the on the combinations with, with with what went well. The French have made three changes. And personally, and this is my 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 one-eyed All Black viewers. I, I, and 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 in New Zealand here we put it, we, the All Blacks are good, but we put it, the public put a lot of pressure on them. We expect a lot from them. We expect them to win every game. We expect them to win every game well. Um, so we well, I'm I'm expecting another fifty points on the board from the All Blacks this week. I'd, I'd actually be be surprised if we don't put fifty on them again. Um, the weather's looking pretty good for Wellington. Or uh, well, sometimes in Wellington, the weather can be can be quite windy. It can be quite rainy. Um, it's usually a wind there, but it's not looking too bad. So, so good conditions again for our guys um, to to get that backline happening, especially in the second half. Once the once the forwards are starting to tire, once everyone's got a bit of, getting a bit tired. So, but that, that's what I'm that's what I'm expecting. Um, hopefully, the Irish can uh, get up over the uh, get up over those Aussies this week. That, that, that would make me happy. Just um, uh, one thing on the on the All Blacks French game this week, a- Angus Gardner, the Australian's referee, and he, he's a good ref. In the recent Crusaders Hurricanes match, he refereed that in Super Rugby, and he was very, very stringent on anything around the head. So even tackles where, where players were tackled around the chest, and then, then the tacklers slid up and, and touched the head, virtually only just touched the head, the, the players were penalised. And and the commentators were, uh, were were quite scathing of him, but he was he was just referring to the letter of the law. So it'll be interesting to see how he treats any uh, high shots this week.
1: Yeah, and it, it's the inconsistency I think is what really drives the players crazy, right? So you could uh, going back to the Ireland game in the in the closing stages, you could you could see the the frustration building in the normally unflappable Conor Murray, who is normally the coolest customer on the pitch. Um, I think he he got he got dinged by the ref for maybe using some expletives, uh, but the gist of it was, you know, how long are are you going to let those guys lie there? You know, they were under the posts and the Aussies were just lying all over the ball, um, and it wasn't coming back out. And it was, you know, nine times out of ten a referee is given given a penalty all day for that. But it was just the the inconsistency I think is what drives the.
0: The Australians are very, very good at lying all over the ball and slowing it down when when it suits them. They seem to be able to get away with it. I don't know. That could be my one-eyed uh, one-eyed view of it. But
1: yeah, well, that, it was, yeah. if you if you get to see the the incident, like it's clearly, I, I can't see whose hand it is, whether it's Pocock or who it is, but there is an Australian hand on the ball, literally on the mm. ball. Um, it's 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 blatant. Um, but I, you know, the referees are human. They can't get everything right. But that's what the that's what the TMOs are there for, and hopefully we'll get a bit of consistency this weekend. Um, the other big game last weekend, of course, was the um, the visit of the English to uh, Johannesburg in the magnificent Ellis Park. A dramatic 42-39 game. I think the altitude may have may have caught up in England on the end. They seem to um, come out of the, the traps blazing in in the first part of the game, but. Into the final hour, they seem to to, to lose a bit of um, momentum, and the 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 box pulled ahead just right at the end.
0: Yeah, that's something that happens a lot there. Um, um, up on the high belt is uh, because they're so used to it, and um, since since Super Rugby's been going and New Zealand teams have been going there a lot more, we we've, we've become more used to it as well. But um, for sure, for many years, um, that they're always so strong on the last 20 minutes because they're just acclimatized to the to the altitude. But yeah, um, yeah, South Africa was one that one that was a pretty exciting, all right. And uh, I wouldn't know who to pick this week. that will be that will be a, a closey that one. A
1: number of the English-based Springbok players that came to the fore at the weekend, so. Uh, the man of the match um faf de clerk or declare i don't know how well, to Kler- pronounce yeah. it in the afrikaans Kler- it plays at at sale sharks in 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 the the northwest of england and willie larue of course at full back plays for wasps so they were very prominent with the clerk getting man of the match so their inherent knowledge of the english players can only be an advantage given that that a number of them play their play their um, professional game overseas. Debutants we talked about last week, um, both got on the score sheet as well, out on the wing. So out wide, um, between the two of them, they had three tries, which was a nice way to start your Springbok career. So lots of lots of scoring, 42-39. So it didn't go down well with, with Eddie Jones, though I think he got into a bit of Hot bother with with some of the Springboks fans as he was leaving the ground. I don't know. Did that get much? Yeah, got coverage? A, got a bit um, of coverage
0: here. Um, sure, he he was saying, he was just asking them where to buy a bottle of wine. But uh, yeah, as what we know about Eddie, that's highly unlikely. But the the South African fans are they're extremely passionate, um, and they'll certainly they'll certainly let you know uh, what what they think. So um, yeah, but uh, Eddie probably needs to be a little bit better than that. I believe he needs to just like. Take
1: no notice. He, he finds it hard to, to help himself sometimes or to resist uh, the debate when, when folks are, are goading him like that. Uh, even if he was looking for a nice bottle of pinotage or something, it probably wasn't the, the time nor the place. So another full schedule of, of games this weekend, Mike. So yeah, I think you're fairly clear you think New Zealand yeah. are, are going to do it. How do you see the Ireland-Australia one going?
0: I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for Ireland with the changes this week. Um, yeah. yeah go on and, and I think uh, maybe down at sea level uh, England get up over South Africa how's that Wales well, well, I can say Wales had, had a good win over the, over Argentina and the other, other one I, I just thought I'd like to mention was Japan got up over Italy
1: yeah they obviously have a lot to look forward to hosting the, the, the World Cup next year and they have had a number of, of remarkable successes not least the, the victory over South Africa in the last World Cup so it's uh they're always an exciting um, team to play. They have a real mixture of uh, some of the kind of naturalised overseas players and their own kind of um, uh, speed merchants as well. They're, they're always an exciting team to watch, Japan.
0: Yeah, and, and, and having their players in the Super Rugby competition is, is obviously going to be a help to them. Just, uh, you know, they've got a number of players in the Sunwolves team just playing at that level every week in, week out is going to make them stronger cool
1: indeed so lots to look forward to mike uh, hopefully we can yeah. talk next week and catch up on what will hopefully be a, a more balanced uh, summer series from a from a european perspective
0: yeah sure great 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 talking
1: take care have a good week
0: thank you